Namaste. Welcome to another edition of the Hindu Parenting Podcast. Today, Shalini and I will uh, outline for you part two of what it means to be a Hindu. Before we start that, let's just uh, make a couple of clarifications. The first point is we discussed that a Hindu temple is also called a mandira or a devalaya, which translates to the home of the deity. So this is a very important concept for us to know because in most faiths, uh, the place of worship is a place that people congregate in and perhaps hear a sermon and get together to pray. But in Hinduism, the temple is the home of the deity. Uh, this is something that uh, kids need to know. The second point is about the Purusharthas. Uh, it is to be understood that Artha and Kama are the primary purusharthas that we deal with in today's world. Uh, artha meaning the desire for power and wealth, money. Kama being the desire for pleasure. And artha and kama always go together and they are to be bounded by this principle called dharma. So um, these are just a couple of things that uh, I wanted to clarify. Shalini, any more points? I think there are a couple more things that I wanted to say. One that what we are discussing here uh, are topics which are not in any order of importance nor are they uh, in any chronological order. We are just discussing them as they come to us. Okay. Then the other point that I wanted to say was that it is important to 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 discuss these concepts because these form the philosophical base basis for Hinduism. And uh, we believe that starting with this is just like starting to construct a house. So when you construct a house, you always build the foundations first and then only uh, you build the superstructure. So the foundation is what actually stays below the ground, is a bit unglamorous, but it's a stable base without which you cannot build a superstructure. So what we are discussing here is akin to discussing the foundations of Hinduism which will then lead us to topics of everyday concern and everyday uh, value for all of us to help us navigate everyday life. So I think these two things uh, was something that I wanted to say. Uh, so Rekha, I think we can just start now and we'll delve into the concepts one by one, the ones which we have lined for today. Uh, today, let's start with something that most kids will find very fascinating. This is the concept of time. Uh, time, as we commonly understand today, is linear in nature. I mean, time by itself has no uh, specific uh, 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 principle. It's just the way that we look at it. So the way we understand it today is fully linear, which means it has a past, a present and future, which does not repeat over and over again. Uh, but looking back, it's very intuitive uh, to, to know that what we observe in nature is cyclical all the time. The seasons repeat, the phases of moon repeat, um, day and night repeats. So this is something that was noticed in most or almost all ancient cultures, including in Hinduism. So the Hindu conception of time is cyclical. It is uh, also known as the Kala Chakra, Chakra meaning a wheel. So we often refer to it as the wheel of time. So it starts with the Srishti, which the Western mind understands as creation, but we refer to it as Srishti. 
So, so it starts with Srishti, then there is sustenance of the Srishti and it ends with something called the Pralaya. And then this cycle of time repeats over and over again. And uh, the, uh, the time is divided into large and small units. Large units uh, like the Kalpa, the Manvantara and the Yugas, the Chatur Yugas are something that find that you find a reference to the Yugas in almost all the uh, literature of Hinduism, like the Puranas and the Itihasas, they all refer to this um, cyclic dimension of time. Um, so this is something that is uh, a fascinating study by itself and is definitely of great interest to uh, everybody. So Shalini, anything more you'd like to add to this? Well, uh, perhaps we can uh, look at it as, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, best elaborated with an example. So if you look at the uh, the cycle of a plant, it grows from the seed. Uh, so the seed carries all the life force. It grows from the seed. It becomes a plant. It becomes a tree. Uh, it uh, flowers. It's, it fruits. Uh, and then it sort of decays and goes back into the ground in the seed form. So the life force is then again uh, coming back through a new you see it. Similarly for us, uh, we conceptualize time also in the same fashion, you know. So there is a potent form in the form of uh, a single unity. There is an expansion and then again there's a contraction and then starts the cycle all over again. So I think, yeah, it uh, summarizes what we think about how time operates. So uh, moving on, I think we should uh, look at the concept of um, Hindus being seekers rather than believers. So how would we go about uh, explaining that, uh, Rekha? Uh, most faiths mandate some sort of a belief system. Uh, this is where Hinduism is quite different from everything else that we know. Um, so here, the importance, uh, there's a lot of importance given to seeking and finding your answers, which means that uh, the dichotomy of religion versus science is not something that Hinduism is very concerned about because uh, there is a natural inclination to seeking here. And this is actually uh, beautifully brought out in the oldest scripture, uh, which is called the Rig Veda. And there is the Nasadiya Sukta in the 10th mandala of the Rig Veda, uh, which discusses how Srishti came to be, you know, from where, how has this Srishti happened? You know, what, what, what happened before that? What was life? Uh, when did life start? And what happened um, at the earliest um, time of Srishti? So who can say what happens, happened then? Uh, do the gods themselves know what happened? Do the per Does the person or the entity who created this Srishti know what happened or how this whole beautiful universe came about? Does he know or maybe even he does not know? This is the ending of the Nasadiya Sukta. So you can right away see from this that, that there is no mandate. There is nothing that has to be believed. And if you do not believe that, you cannot you know, function as a Hindu. We are open to uh, scientifically seeking answers. So this, this is, I think, wonderful. Yeah, that is correct because this uh, the Nasadiya Sukta is, I think, very, very profound, you know. And I think a culture which which tells people to believe will never write words like this because they are all words of a seeker. You know, you're, when you're even saying, even he knows or maybe does not know, you know, which means you are questioning even the divine as the creator. So th that, uh, that can come only from a culture of seeking, not 
not from a culture of believing. I think also there's another uh, facet which helps us understand that uh, we are a culture of seekers. For the longest time, I think until the 15th century or something like that, somewhere in the mid uh, Middle Ages, it was believed by most of the West that the earth is uh, flat. However, our oldest description of the earth as a spherical entity, not a flat entity. So we have always known that the earth or any of the planetary bodies are more or less spherical in uh, shape, you know, and not flat. So this, I think, also comes from a lot of seeking, questioning and demanding answers and looking for them, uh, which testifies to our culture being one of seeking rather than Open. believing. Don't you agree? Absolutely. And we all know what happened to Copernicus and Galileo. Uh, yeah. Such stories of uh, persecution for uh, differences from the accepted uh, viewpoint are um, almost not heard of at all in Hindu history or culture. We have a system of, we have had, which is sadly not so well known now, but we have had a system of uh, open debates. And uh, there are many famous debates that are examples of, you know, questioning, seeking of this entire spirit that our uh, culture is uh, defined by. So yes, this yeah, is something absolutely. I think we should all be proud of. Yeah. And our uh, our art of debating where scholars debated on practically every issue under the sun. So uh, we have always been a culture of questioning and seeking answers rather than blind belief. Though, ironically, we are called as a culture that is, you know, into blind beliefs, superstition and the like, which I think is um, not at all warranted. Given, given the long history of debate and discussion and, you know, uh, seeking that has happened in this civilization. Oh, this is a great point. Absolutely. And we all need to understand this and um, also make sure our kids understand it so that anything that is uh, uh, thrown at them um, can be answered. You know, kids need to have an understanding of what our culture is, what it was all about, because a lot of it is not understood today. And uh, many Hindus today like to describe themselves as spiritual, but not religious. So we will examine this uh, towards the end of the program when we come to rituals. But before that, uh, let's talk about ashramas. The Hindu is familiar, most Hindus are familiar with the ashrama system, or at least the names uh, that are given to the four stages of uh, life. Uh, first being the brahmacharya, which covers student life. Brahmacharya just means uh, uh, seeking or proceeding in the direction of finding Brahman. Uh, so this refers to specifically the student part of life where uh, uh, young children and adolescents are encouraged to study and to build up skills that will then serve them well for the next phase of life, which is called Grihastha. Uh, griha meaning home. So Grihastha refers to uh, the phase of life that we all are in. It is the householder phase of life where you have kids um, and you are responsible for the older generation, the younger generation, the responsibilities are high. And this uh, is supposed to form the backbone of society. Um, so this is considered the most important ashrama of the four ashramas in Hinduism. 
um, the third one is the vanaprastha which is uh, common among older people whose children have grown up they've handed over their responsibilities to their children and they're slowly detaching themselves from the worldly life and moving into um, a secluded forest dwelling life where they then begin to focus on their own internal uh, sadhana the fourth ashrama is uh, called sanyasa which is uh, of very little relevance today i think with hardly anybody uh, reaching that stage but what's interesting is that all the four ashramas that have been conceptualized so long ago are pretty much unchanged and uh, you know this is what you see in the world around you today the student life and then the householder and then slowly detaching yourself from uh, responsibilities which um, which again is a bit of a gray area today any comments on that shalini yeah i think uh, today vanaprastha does not have the same significance as uh, in older times um, i think because the concept of hindu seeking moksha has somehow taken a back seat now uh, vanaprastha i think was designed because every hindu in uh, in older times was expected to um, strive to attain moksha so vanaprastha was supposed to be sort of the uh, preparing ground for the seeking uh, seeking answers from within uh, and sanyasa was the uh, was the stage where one actually uh reached or attempted to reach the divine and this was true for everybody but i think uh, over time these two these two stages of life have become a little more diluted and uh, perhaps not possible for everybody but we do think that uh, you know if people are inclined to do this uh, we could do with some upping of the spiritual uh, spiritual quotient of current society you know so if there are people who are uh, keen to pursue the path of moksha they should actually uh, follow the vanaprastha and uh, sanyasa stages it it would be nice if uh, some people started to adopt these two stages more seriously shalini i think here um, perhaps uh, you know in ancient times itself people have thought about the friction between the older generation and the younger generation and so when the older generation hands off responsibilities to the adult children and uh, you know detaches from worldly life it is a kind of green signal for the uh, current uh, grihasthas to take over and that lessens conflict also in many ways so i i, yes. I think this is Uh, that's absolutely true <laughs> yeah yeah i think uh, our uh, our ancestors actually uh, you know conceptualized things after a lot of deliberation and there was nothing uh, off hand or random about any of the things that hinduism uh, stands for yeah so i think we shall move on and then uh, yeah talk about the presence in everything yes yes we shall do that um so hindu thought uh, believes that everyone and everything is absolutely divine so we are uh, we consider that all of srishti is a manifestation of the one single divine essence you know and this this encompasses not just uh, animate but inanimate 
objects too. So the difference being in the levels of consciousness that an inanimate object has and that which a living being or an animate, uh, animate entity has. Also, even in the animate uh, world, there is levels of consciousness from lower to higher. And at present, man is the uh, highest form that is there. However, Hinduism does not does not say that evolution stops with man. Uh, we think that it is also possible to go higher, and that's why we have the concept of moksha. So that is that uh, is, I think, where we um, conceptualize everything as divine, and uh, we also understand that uh, it's it's not easy to reach this uh, or transcend ourselves that it's not an easy task and uh, therefore we have multiplicity of paths to attain this but uh, we believe that all paths essentially lead to the one uh, one divine and uh, this is often repeated you know this statement uh, from our upanishad ekam sat vipra bahuda vadanti which means that you know multiple paths lead to the same goal so we do believe in that but there might be uh, you know something that we want to uh, we want to probably dissect over here and say that uh, while all paths do ultimately lead to the one it is also important that the paths have to be uh, in in consonance with dharma adharmic paths need not necessarily lead to the uh, uh, one goal so uh, any uh, any further thing that you would like to add rekha no i i like the point that you mentioned uh, that adharmic paths and dharmic paths do have a difference and in modern times the average hindu is quite confused about this um, so this is something that we will be addressing especially uh, while teaching kids because it is it's a beautiful concept in itself but the way we apply it uh, you know has to be very carefully thought out um, that is absolutely maybe when true. we talk about when we talk about the divine presence in everything this is a good point of time to mention that uh, the hindu view of nature you know the way we uh, respect every tatva or element in nature uh, rivers are given the form of river goddesses um, you know there is uh, there are many elements in nature that we treat as sacred and it all boils down to this feeling of a divine presence in everyone and everything i think this is a principle that animates our existence and uh, you know it is carried down into um, everything that a hindu does or thinks in daily life so yes this is uh, um, absolutely important uh, principle to know and perhaps and perhaps i think uh, making uh, making nature and its tatvas uh, all divine prevents us from uh, you know messing around with uh, nature too much we know that you know imbalance created in uh, nature or of any element will mean that whole of srishti will ha have to bear consequences so this uh, uh, very very uh, tight bond between uh, cause and effect i think deters us from exploiting nature ruthlessly you know or at least until until recent times uh, this kept us from degrading nature um, like we see happening elsewhere you know uh, considering that i think for all uh, yeah considering considering that 
probably the landmass that we call India has had the highest dense density of population for all times. You know, uh, we have been one of the least polluters, least uh, rapacious in terms of uh, exploiting the en uh, environment till recent times, and that could not have happened if we did not uh, if we did not imbue the sacred sac uh, sacred element with nature so i think that's very important that uh, you know associating sacredness with anything that is acts as a natural deterrent to uh, exploitation this this is beautiful uh, and at some point um, it gives kids a great deal of perspective to know that this is not true of just hinduism but of uh, many original uh, ancient cultures in the world. We are the only surviving ancient culture, really. But uh, this principle of finding the sacred in every element of nature has been around for a long time. And uh, if you look at many ancient cultures, uh, you see this all across the board. And it's something that maybe uh, I'm sure kids will find fascinating to explore on their own. Not to come up yeah. with uh, examples. Yeah, sure, sure. So uh, uh, now let's move on to rituals because all that we have discussed so far uh, are the concepts, and now we'll see how uh, you know how they they come into our life on a practical level. So uh, Rekha, please explain to us about rituals and their significance. The much maligned ritual of Hinduism. Yeah. So it's it's interesting that. Uh, Rituals have a very important place in Hinduism and of late Hindus have become a little bit defensive about this uh, because we have lost a lot of the understanding of the basics behind rituals. Rituals are mainly performative and uh, of all the concepts that we have discussed, you know, some of the uh, principles that of Hinduism that we have discussed so far, uh, all of them flow down into our everyday life as the Hindu ritual. Um, a Hindu ritual is very aesthetic. Uh, it's beautiful to look at. Think of the Ganga Aarti. You know, it's something, it, yeah. it engages all your senses. It has a special function of its own. Uh, a ritual in everyday life is uh, gives you a sense of predictability, of discipline, um, and to that extent, small rituals keep children really grounded and uh, on the right path, I would say. Because um, interestingly, recent uh, studies in Harvard Business Review have referred to the power of a ritual. Of course, they were not talking about the Hindu ritual. They were talking about a sense of ritual uh, created, new rituals being created. And uh, modern life has uh, learned to think of Friday night popcorn and movie as a ritual too. But when we as a culture have so many rituals that are of uh, specific uh, significance um, of, um, uh, you know, which tires to our culture and which uh, bring out its essence, which have been going on for thousands and thousands of years and which we know are also tied to seasons and are good for us in so many ways. Uh, then we would uh, really be foolish to throw that away and adopt something very new because I think it's been proven that a ritual is very good for the human brain right now. So 
um i think this is the hindu ritual that is uh, so important for us to follow and uh, you know not just throw it away yeah that is uh, absolutely true you know so we have really come to almost close to despise any sort of ritual especially when connected to hinduism uh, it's all brushed off as uh, being backward being uh, not at all in touch uh, in tune with the times uh, but it's really much maligned i agree completely so i think we have discussed some of the main concepts and uh, there might be more and we might delve into uh, other concepts in uh, some future episodes if we feel the need we hope that you have all uh, uh, liked to listen to us have been able to get some takeaways from our uh, conversation uh, please do come back for another edition in about a fortnight's time can i just a quick thing here yes um, yes reka i think while raising children we need to keep all these principles because a lot of things we will be talking about specifically even current events uh when you think about looking at them through a hindu lens these are the principles that we will be referring to again and again so it really uh helps us as parents to keep these in the back of our minds and when kids are on on the defensive as uh, as hindu kids you know very often in the world today they don't know what they have to say you know what they can say in um, answer to some of the things thrown at them so a well conceived world view exists and um, just keeping this um, in your mind will help will help you to help children see you know see see what it means to be a hindu and also to answer the questions that they are often faced with in today's world so this is a small point i wanted to make yeah so in the next episode we will be covering uh, the festival of sankranti so we look forward to having you all with us one more time uh, in a fortnight and uh, there's nothing more currently so we will say we will say namaste and see you in a fortnight namaste namaste, namaste.